Hello, and welcome to the Automotive News Europe podcast for January 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at A&E. Thanks so much for joining us. Chinese startup Iways turns five this year, but its head of overseas operations believes it already has an advantage over its much more experienced rivals in Europe. Alex Closes says being electric only puts Iways ahead of companies that are trying to make the EV transition because it can offer its U5 SUV, which starts at under 38,000 euros in Germany, at a price that undercuts rivals such as Hyundai and Kia. Why? Because Iways doesn't have to fund a large portfolio of combustion-powered vehicles. Closer plans to leverage the company's EV credentials to reach a five-digit sales figure in the region this year. Closer, who previously led Volvo's China operations and Jaguar Land Rover's Asia-Pacific arm, also explains why Iways is unlikely to build a brand new factory in Europe, even if its sales surge. Hi, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us today for the Automotive News Europe podcast. Hi, Doc. Good talking to you today. Very good to be on your show. Alex, I'd like to get started with a question about how you folks are tackling the biggest hurdles about getting started in Europe. We are a Chinese manufacturer headquartered in Shanghai, and that's actually where my office is. And I think for us, that was sort of the, the biggest first step to overcome the hurdle to come to Europe, to actually have somebody who's European in the company. And I joined the company almost from the outset. Outset of the company was 2017. Uh, I joined basically half a year later, but had followed the company right from the outset because the founders are some of my friends and actually some of the investors were my friends. So I actually knew about the company for quite a long time. And then I was quite obviously invited to uh, give some ideas about whether we could go to Europe. And then obviously took that task upon me to make it happen for iways. And I think for iways, it was also uh, a very good choice, not necessarily me as a person, I wouldn't be going so far that it's myself, but just having a European and a foreigner on board and being able to bring a Chinese brand to Europe. So as I know how to set up a company in Europe, it was much easier for highways to, to really do that. Well, a couple of things underline what you're talking about. The non-European brands that have succeeded here in Europe have also leaned on strong European executives like yourself. And you come to this relationship with quite a bit of experience in knowing what the Chinese market is like. So you've kind of checked both boxes, right? Yeah, I have to say it's sort of uh, a bit the same thing that I did before, just the other way around. So uh, I was with uh, Volvo when I went uh, over to uh, to China, actually with Ford and Volvo at that time still. And uh, so I, I was sent first to the Asian headquarters of Volvo, which at that time was in Malaysia, because uh, we hadn't really found out that there existed another country which was called China. 
later on, obviously, and it was during that time when I was in uh, in Malaysia, we, we said uh, we have to move that headquarters to China, was moved to Shanghai. Uh, and then I was sitting out there having a European headquarters, which didn't know too much about China at that point in time. I think things have changed quite a bit in comparison to when uh, the Japanese or when the Koreans were coming to Europe, in as much as uh, everybody knows much more about the rest of the world than uh, people knew then. And whilst sort of the Europeans uh, had sent cars to China, set up operations in China, are now producing and engineering cars in China, they also brought all that knowledge to China about Europe, because it's basically European cars that were being brought to China. And therefore, also the Chinese engineering and Chinese styling uh, design is much more akin to what you would want to have in, uh, in, in Europe. That's why I think going the other side now, going from something which was designed by a group of people who have come from that car industry, is a car that really works well in, in Europe as well. So I think for, for iways, it was much easier than for others before to go to Europe because design didn't need to change. What are some of the things that you're finding are helping you with your new car, your U5 out there in the market? What are the unique selling points and what are some of the ways that you're making some headway in the European market? What's really helping us is obviously that we have a big change in the car industry right now. We go into a completely new propulsion system we go to electric vehicles. Our view is that it will take only a few more years until we have the majority of new cars in Central and Northern Europe, at least, being electrical. So this is giving us a huge push because we as others are just starting in this market. Some others might have a bit more experience than we do, but basically everybody is starting from a, from a bit of a clean slate. We think even we have an advantage because we don't have to think about any uh, internal combustion engine anymore. We don't have to think about that we design and engineer cars which work like an you know, internal combustion engine vehicle. We can really focus on EVs. That is our biggest ad advantage and which is helping us as well to, uh, to have a unique selling proposition in Europe. Uh, it is that we have a car which is made uniquely for EVs, therefore much more affordable than uh, anybody else. And it's also a car which focuses on the main benefits for the consumer, rather kind of engineering a lot of gadgets into the vehicle, which might be actually questionable in, in terms of benefits for the, for the customer. Can you tell us a little bit about your rollout plans for the rest of Europe and maybe give us some idea on um, some of your sales objectives over the next few years? I have to start in the north. We're in uh, Sweden, Iceland, Denmark, Belgium, Netherlands, France, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Spain, and uh, Portugal. So we covered almost all of the continent already. We will roll out to the rest of the countries, of the EU countries uh, within, let's say, the next uh, six months or so. What about sales projections? What are you hoping to achieve? Have you guys set any goals that you've made public? 
We have obviously set goals, but we haven't made them public. As we're focusing solely on EVs, our success will depend a lot also on whether our projections for the development of the total market are, are correct. We think that, once again, this will be quicker than uh, a lot of people have thought in the past. So we probably in, in the camp of some of our larger competitors who are pushing very strongly into the direction of EV. Uh, and one of the reasons why we think so is because of residual value suddenly really dropping down. We plan for five-digit figures. We wouldn't really say much more about this because we, we actually, I mean, I can divulge to you one thing. We have three different plans depending on the, really the market development. Can you maybe give me some ideas of what are the, some of the things you'd like to see happen over the next few years that have nothing to do with sales, but just about developing your brand and also developing some customer loyalty? When you talk about the softer side, what uh, we think would be a real success for us if we can make iways known as a Chinese brand, because we're from a country which hasn't ever succeeded with any cars in Europe because they didn't come with any cars uh, to Europe, but we, uh, we have never succeeded. So if, if we can actually succeed to be known as the car who made it to Europe and actually has a certain position in Europe and is recognized for, for that position in Europe. What I think we want to be recognized for as a brand, uh, and I would almost say this would be a, a personal success as well, that we actually helped uh, bringing EVs into the mass market. What we think is still a, a bit of an issue is that EVs are in general uh, much more expensive than uh, ICEs. We now depending on, uh, on subsidies, but we would want to be in a position where we can fairly quickly uh, get beyond that point where we depended on subsidies and can strive on, on our own merits and even beat uh, ICEs on, on our own merits. So this is where we really want to get to. And we setting up everything from the product to the distribution system to make that happen. I would just love to get an idea from you based on your experience around the world on how long would it typically take a brand to become profitable in a brand new market? It always depends what kind of a product you have and how you can position that product and how you can really build the product so the, uh, the customers will value the product and then you can make the car profitable. I would say for a startup, it's then very different to what I've done in the past, which is going into a going concern situation and where you just, I mean, not, not just taking over, but you could expand, but you don't start from fresh. So I think for our situation, you have to also separate that a bit. You have to, on the one hand, see the investment that has gone into just setting up the company. And then you have to have a look at, would the company be profitable if it were a going concern? I think from that perspective, operational profitability, we want to achieve that uh, as early as possible. It would be one of our targets. So we we definitely not coming to the market and subsidizing uh, on an operational level. The question 
on the other hand is uh, how quickly can you recuperate your initial investment and at this point in time I, I, I really can only guess uh, that which I don't want to do but in, in our most optimistic scenario for the market not, not just for us but for the market uh, we could well be able to recuperate that within a short three years. I'm going to get wildly ahead of myself, so bear with me for a second. One of the things that brands always start to think about as they build up and they get successful in a new market is production in that market. But we're seeing a lot of different ideas on what production actually means. It doesn't have to mean a 200,000 unit a year plant. It could be a smaller plant and just more agile plant. Is that something you guys are thinking about already? And is there a number in mind that might work if you did decide to start producing in Europe? It's a very, very interesting question because obviously we're having those uh, discussions. The question is, how would you start and where would you start? In my previous lives, I had some plants in the markets where I was operating. Malaysia, for example, Thailand, we had a plant, which were all CKD plants and all very low volume plants. But they were driven by a tax and duty environment that was largely different from what you have in Europe. Therefore, in Europe, these small numbers that we had there probably wouldn't work. But you could also see some operations in Europe, which are smaller numbers and still work as sort of a stepping stone to a larger production or as a, as a buffer for a larger production. So uh, yes, we could see that, that you could do some operations here, which is a production that works at a smaller level in preparation to a, to a larger production. Now, whether would, we would want to do that or not, we'll, we'll see in the future. But we could foresee that we would have an operation here and uh, that we actually would want to manufacture in Europe. We don't think that we would necessarily have to build a new plant because there's lots of plants locations around, uh, which might be actually quite useful to have. What we would see is that probably we would like to have some battery, not cell, but battery manufacturing over here in Europe. But that one we would also want to do once we can assess a bit better how many units we'll actually be able to sell in Europe. So really depending on, on market development rather than anything else. The battery production is even more crucial than because you could find plants in Europe where you could just, they'd be happy to take you on as a customer more than likely. However, the lack of battery production here is a real hindrance. That's one of the items, yes, but also the battery is, I mean, it's a lot of dead weight that you're shipping back and forth, but a lot of value that you have to go through a duty barrier. So uh, it would be really good if, if, if we could do that in Europe. Our supplier, uh, our cell supplier is CATL, which also building up capacity in Europe, not necessarily for our cells at present, but still could be happening in the future. And that would be really uh, something that we would foresee that we would have our supplier of cells in Europe and also would have our own battery production in Europe. Which part of the production of the vehicle then we would uh, localize, whether we would do CKD, whether we would do full production, definitely remains to be seen. 
Have you been impressed by any of the battery makers that are coming online here in Europe? We know that it's a weak spot for this particular market. Wanted to get your perspective as you see what the Chinese leaders in this field are doing. Are the Europeans getting close enough for you to maybe be interested in using someone? Also a very interesting question. I think that that race is uh, by no means decided in, in any way whatsoever. Uh, I think it's, it's wide open. What we see is that there is a shortage of capacity everywhere. Uh, not necessarily just capacity of production, but also development uh, capacity. So uh, when you go to anybody these days uh, for a new project, it's just very difficult to get any attention because everybody is optimizing their processes, building capacity and so on. Uh, and it, it's really at a time where the whole car industry is under a lot of strain to, uh, to do that conversion. And you need still for the rest of the car industry, you still need people for IC. But for the new part, you also need a lot of people who have very different knowledge, different uh, skill sets, who know about electrochemistry, which nobody was interested for a long period of time. And uh, now suddenly you, you have to get these people and they have to develop new, new batteries and improve batteries. When I circle back for just a second, you had mentioned that you guys have three different scenario plans. Are you at liberty to talk at all about those three different plans or are those also sort of kept in the drawer? I think I need to keep them in the drawer, but I'll just I'll just sort of talk to you a bit about those plans, sort of the background of the uh, background of the thinking of those plans. The first plan would be we get what we think would be a baseline uh, successful. We'll have difficulties as a Chinese brand and so on. That would be our baseline. The, the second line would be we get more successful and we see further acceptance of Chinese brands. And the last one would be that I'm right in my predictions about the penetration of EVs. And then we get much more successful because we think there will be a big open space in the market which we could fill. We'll have to see which scenario plays itself out. And if you're the winner, I'll buy you a beer. How's that sound? Okay, good. That sounds very good. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Alex, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the Automotive News Europe podcast. Wish you lots of success going forward. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for your time. It was a pleasure being with you. We reached Alex Klose at iWaze's European headquarters in Munich. If you have an idea for a future podcast or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me at dbolduck at autonews.com. For breaking news, please visit europe.autonews.com. You can listen to this podcast and a wide range of others from the Automotive News Group on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play or on our website at europe.autonews.com. That wraps up the Automotive News Europe podcast for January 20th, 2022. I'm your host, Doug Bolduck, Managing Editor at a &E. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again next week.